So welcome everyone and thank you for your interest in foundations in contemplative care. My name is David Iozzi. I'm the Director of Studies at the New York Zen Center for Contemplative Care, and I'll be facilitating this evening along with Lola Davis, who shows up as New York Zen Center and is waving right now. She's facilitating Zoom and can help you with any uh, technical Zoom questions that, that come up. <clears throat> so I'd like to um, begin by inviting you, if you're comfortable, to share through the chat feature uh, where you're calling in from, where in the world you're calling in from. And we can, if you'd like, you can just follow along in the chat and see who's joining us this evening. My name is Fred Hatch. I'm from Colorado. Uh, I've been a physician associate in psychiatry for many years. I just retired. I only deal with elderly at that point. Welcome. Hey, thank you all for sharing. Let those roll in. And <clears throat> uh, begin by introducing uh, tonight, we're joined by <clears throat> the Zen Center's co-founders, Sensei Chodo Robert Campbell and Sensei Koshin Paley Ellison, who are also the co-guiding teachers for the Foundations Program. And together through the Foundations Program, through other programs and through teaching appointments, they've trained over 100 people in various professions, clinicians of various types, doctors, uh, nurses, therapists, social workers, and also people who uh, did not have a profession at the time or who were in transition, people who were interested in uh, exploring their relationship to themselves and others through the contemplative approach to care or who were interested in integrating spiritual practice and care. We're also joined by two students in the current Foundations uh, program, Venus Fan and Kelly Rico, who we'll be hearing from in a little bit, as well as Susan Klein, our uh, education administrator, and Lola, who I introduced already. So toward the end, we'll open for questions, and you can feel free to uh, chat them as we go. The teachers don't always see the chat, but I'll be uh, monitoring it, and we'll collect them for the end if, if they don't get asked. But we will be inviting people to ask their questions live through uh, video and, and audio. So uh, Chodo, Koshin, welcome. And perhaps we could begin uh, with you sharing a little bit about what contemplative care is. What are we talking about when we talk about the foundations in contemplative care? Wonderful question. Thank you. Uh, I'm pretty curious about it too. And just wonderful, first of all, to see all of your faces. I just love taking a moment to take you all in. It's really delightful. Some of you look very familiar. Nice to see those who are new. So contemplative care is something that Chodo and I, when we were you know, taking care of my grandmother, were really thinking about, you know, what is the different way of, what is a different way to really engage 
and how do we really see providing an extra layer of spiritual and emotional support both to ourselves and to the people that we're with because what we experienced with my grandmother is that she said you know a lot of people are very well meaning and they want to like cheer me up and fix me and make me better but what often she's like, but I always feel like that they're not really feeding themselves. And so really so much of our work really came from my grandmother in her dying days about what it was to mean to be intimate. And so for us to provide an extra layer of spiritual support is to receive it. So how are we doing that? And so the foundations and contemplative care is really the name of it is essentially what we're looking to explore, which is how do we create a foundation of contemplative care that where we're actually supporting one another in community so that we can do this together. Because also one of the things that we experience is that we can't do this alone. And we have to actually realize that we need each other. And so the, we were never particularly interested in training programs itself. We're really interested in community because we, as the beautiful Zen teacher Thich Nhat Hanh, who just died some days ago, reminds us that the future Buddha, the future aspiration of waking up is community. And so this program is really designed for people who are interested in doing things really differently. That maybe you, you're even coming from a spiritual community or you haven't yet landed in a spiritual community, but really learning how to be in community together so that we can support one another. And so that we can really take a look at what is where we're getting caught and hiding out and working with our fear and discomfort and learn how to be courageous together and clear so that we can actually serve both our own community in the program as well as in the world. Chato? I don't know how to follow that. I, mean, I think you encapsulated it all there in the first three minutes. Um, I like to think of contemplative care as adding a layer of an extra layer of spiritual care uh, and support. We say often, often say that uh, one can only be as intimate with another as one is with oneself. And a big part of this training or this course is to really uh, to go into oneself to look at our own shadows, to look at the, the, uh, the places that trip us up when we're in relationship with another. It's so important when we're taking care of others that uh, we know or are aware of our own triggers, our own stuff. And this is not, you know, it's not therapy. You know, we're not out there laying all that stuff out on the table. But when we are in relationship with, with another, maybe you've noticed this in your own personal lives, how something that someone says will touch into us in a very, very uh, intimate way. So it's amazing how with relative, relative strangers, you know, uh, 
people we just met in the hospital or in the nursing home. We can um, often feel that we've connected immediately. Or we can even think, um, before we've even spoken sometimes, this is not going to go well. You know, we, we come in with all these preconceived ideas of what the next moment has to offer us, rather than being in each moment fresh and new that we talked about in Zen practice. How can I be fully present to what's occurring right now? But not just for me, but what's occurring in the room. I don't know what's uh, occurring in the other person's mind, but I'm picking something up. Something's happening in this room right now. Or well, there's something in me that's uh, feeling a little anxious or jealous, whatever it is. Well, it's, we use the word get curious a lot. To get curious, what's happening right now in this moment? with me, with, that, with the other person, with us. Um, and I think this training is a lot about looking at that. Yeah, a lot about uh, discovery. You know, um, yeah, I'll leave it there for a second. So it's really, <clears throat> you know, there are many fabulous training programs in this world. And we live in this time where we have access to lots of great programs and there are so many offerings and it's really wonderful. And many times people are saying, well, what about this? And am I gonna, is this a, I wanna learn some skills cause I wanna go out and then be, you know, a good person and, of service. And so I would really encourage you to reflect on, because this training, what we're really interested in, as I was sharing with earlier, and as Chodo was building on that, is that it's really important for us that we do our own work. And so we're doing a lot of spiritual and emotional investigation in this program. It's a very much an inside out training. And as, as we were sharing our understanding of contemplative care itself is really about how do you, with a tender and loving awareness, really take a good look at what is holding you back? What stories are you holding onto that hold you back from actually being in that intimacy that Chodo was beautifully talking about? And so how do you do that? And so a lot of the work is really about uncovering so that you don't actually, it reminds me of something like when I remember my first day doing service work, you know, I was, I went up to the floor in the hospital that I was volunteering on and I was so sure that I was there to bring great compassion and and in a way, I felt like, wow, the people are kind of lucky. I'm going to be, I'm such a nice person and I'm going to bring some good compassion and rainbows. And I actually kind of thought that. And it was really through that first visit that I walked into this room and I didn't see the woman in the bed. And I just heard her from behind me and she's like, hello, sexy. And I was like, I wasn't prepared for that because she really was not matching how I wanted to be perceived and experienced. And so to me, one of the great ways of this training is to look at all the ways that we kind of 
make ourselves rather small in how we want to be experienced and how we want to be liked, as opposed to actually being in a real relationship. And when I was able to turn around and sit with this woman, you know, and really hear her story and be with her in her actual very flirtatious way, I was able to really learn from her what it meant to be alive and to be lively, which was for her very sensual. And I was so engrossed in this conversation with her about being a young woman in Puerto Rico at the beach. And it was only while she was talking about that, I realized that she had just had a double amputation of her legs. And so it was very humbling and were so caught up like I was with my ideas about how I wanted to be experienced. I wasn't even aware. And as I was leaving, you know, she was like, thank you so much for letting me flirt with you and make you uncomfortable. <laughs> She's like, it, it brought me such joy. You know, and I think that in many ways, it's, it's a wonderful story. It continues to inform me about the importance of realness in this work. Chara. One of the, I can you hear me? Apparently I was speaking, you couldn't hear me very well. Uh, can you hear me clearly now? Am I speaking loudly enough? Beautifully. I have this. Bourbon on the rocks voice that is not it doesn't really get much higher. So uh, I'll do the best that I can. We're sharing computers, so one of us has the sound off, which is me. One of the things that are often one of the things that it seems to be telegraphed one how or another for this program is it's about end of life care. And actually that's not what it's about. Uh, we look at this program, we look at this training uh, from the, the whole continuum from birth to death, if you like. Um, we're not a hospice program. You know, you know there was a time in our, in our formative years where, you know, people would come to our training for, with the death monks because they felt that we, because we've done so much work in hospice, that's who we were and that's what this training was about. It's not about that at all. Um, so to just to uh, clear that, we're not training you for end of life care. Although, you know, we're all, we're all being trained for our end of our life, for sure. But that's not what this training is about. Some people maybe find sites in hospice care or maybe with folks who are at the end of life in their, in their sites, but that's not what this training is about. Koshim talked over about a little bit about an experience he had in, in the hospital with the lady who um, was the double amputee. There are so many stories that each of us that have gone through this program can bring the, the most poignant stories, the most poignant moments in the training. And they're, 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 they're actually, they're endless stories. So I'm not going to bore you with one of mine, or, um, unless you want me to. Please bore us to death. <laughs> Bring it up. Um, let me think. Um, 
Well, one of the most poignant uh, experiences for me was working, uh, serving on the oncology unit at a pediatric, a pediatric unit in oncology floor mm -hmm. in a hospital here in New York City. And um, there was a young, a young child, four years of age, who had leukemia. And the parents were, I only, I met the mother first and they would, you know, I mean, this, this big Irish face of mine and I would walk into the room and um, the first time I walked into the room that this little girl, uh, Fallon, I can, I, can, I can use her name because I've had permission to do this over the years, um, started giggling. And her mother said, wow, what's that about? You have some kind of connection going on here. I was like, no idea what this is about. So I would visit with Fallon maybe three times a week when I was on that unit. And um, she was getting sicker and sicker and sicker. And was, you know, she was she was heading towards her own her own dying. And um, her father was incredibly, incredibly heartbroken, of course, at this. But at the main thing is he was an oncologist himself. And he couldn't believe that his own four-year-old daughter was dying. There was nothing he could do about it. And I, I, never, I hadn't met him about, and I was visiting with Fallon for almost a month, I think. And one day I walked into the, into the, into the room and the wife said, oh, this is Chodo, the, the chaplain I've been talking to you about. And he looked at me and he said, well, what are you doing here? I said, I come and visit with Fallon and her mother every day that I'm here. And um, I'm here to offer a layer of support, an extra layer of support, spiritual support. And he said, well, we're Roman Catholic and I don't know anything about Buddhism and uh, how are you gonna help me now? And I said, all I can do is be here and bear witness. There's, you know, there's nothing that I can do. And I said, well, how about your faith, how's that holding you not, how are you, how's that holding you up? And he said, it's not. We are going to go to mass every Sunday. He said, I haven't been to mass in three months. He said, I want you to see, look at my daughter and tell me where God is right now. At that moment, Fallon started laughing. I said, there's God right now in that moment. There he is. She, he, there's God. With that, he was finally able to just like <clears throat> let everything go and bawl and wail and scream. Though, I mean, that's a moment that's never been repeated. That's the moment that stay, will stay with me for the rest of my life, I guess. The, the, and I think what's important about this story is that I'm not trying to, uh, I wasn't trying to push Buddhism up to him. I wasn't belittling, I just allowed for his God, whoever that God was for them, to be there also. To um, allow for everyone in the room to be present. So whether it's God, whether it's, whether it's Yahweh, whether it's the Buddha, it's like, how can I be fully present to whatever is happening for whomever it's happening and whatever it is that's happening? I think that's the most, one of the most important things in this work is to be fully present and to not have an agenda, and to allow for everything to unfold as, it, as it's unfolding. We call it a 360 awareness to what's happening. Um, and one of the important things about our program is, or one of the important things we say at the beginning of our program is we're not in the least bit interested in anyone becoming a Buddhist. So if you're not a Buddhist, 
now, you probably will not be participating in the when you finish the program. But we we do look at everything through the lens of Zen Buddhism. That's where our training is grounded. That's where I've you know, created this program through the lens of Zen Buddhism. So, but please don't think you have to be a Buddhist to do this. So, yeah, so we just want to really appreciate that this training, again, I just want to re-emphasize, like if you could do something else, do that, like knitting or rollerblading or whatever that is. The only reason actually to do this training is actually to because you just feel like there's just it's some most people who actually end up doing this training are big they don't actually understand totally why they're doing it so you don't really get anything from it except everything but there's it doesn't make you something and yet it is about transformation so it's if you feel moved to do it please do it but if you feel like something else is a good use of your time, please do that. So, okay. Thank you, Chodo and Koshin. Um, in a moment, I want to invite <clears throat> Kelly and uh, Venus to share their experience so far. I think they're just a little over midway through the, this year's foundations program. And first, um, someone chatted me that I made a mistake, um, just misspoke. I said that Koshin and Chono had trained 100 people, um, and it should have been hundreds of people, probably thousands at this point. Uh, and of course, when I use the term training, I mean it in the sense of what Koshin is talking about. Hundreds of people have engaged in this contemplative approach to life and discovered what that means for them. And so uh, forgive me for, for misspeaking. Uh, let's see, I can see Kelly there. Kelly, would you like to unmute and share uh, what perhaps what was most meaningful or is most meaningful right now for you in your journey with foundations or, you know, whatever you want to share. Thank you, David. Can I be heard well enough? Just want to, good. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Koshin. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's really heartening to see so many people here. And, um, uh, what's really present for me right now at this point in um, in the foundations course is um, the resource that I've connected with uh, within myself and I was just um, I've been reflecting even this past week that you know I um, I came I came into foundations having a practice with, for about a year with this sangha. And prior to that, I also had um, a strong self-reflect or strong reflexive practice in another um, spiritual community for many years. 
and yet I was, I still realized that um, there were barriers to intimacy that I hadn't fully explored within myself. I knew that there were walls to living, even though I was living a very, very um, full life in many ways. And I wanted to explore this more uh, within my professional practice as well, which is in mediation and facilitation in a restorative justice um, paradigm. And so what's really alive for me is really what both Koshin and, and Chodo have, have spoken about is the beauty of seeing yourself through the eyes of so many people and through the experience of so many people and having the foundation within community, within Sangha, to come up against ourselves and see those limitations and create an incredibly wide and loving and rigorously honest yet caring space to hold all of that and to explore all of that. And what is starting to happen for me, for which I am extraordinarily grateful, is that I've begun to trust a resource, a true resource of compassion and love within that is really sustaining me, especially in this time right here, right now. In the bigger picture, I have been able to look at old walls of trauma that have slowly begun to dissolve. But I, I mean, my, my work is within the Canadian Defense Department. And there's opportunity for, and I work as a conflict management practitioner, and especially right here, right now, there's so much opportunity for anxiety and old reactions and fear to come up. And it's been this week in particular where I found a resource that I've never had before in my life that has also allowed me to support others, even in my team, in a way that I haven't before, in a much more alive and gentle, and if, for want of a better word, a faithful way to remain clear-hearted and, and clear-minded and, and, and remain in connection and remain in, in, in loving presence as a very fallible human being as well. So um, that's my experience. That's, that's, how, that's how my experience is alive right now in this course. Thank you so much, Kelly, for sharing. Uh, Venus, would you like to share? Where are you? Jodo? Hello? Hello? I don't know if Venus could tell us where she's coming in from. Ah. Hi, everyone. Um, I'm Venus. I am zooming in from Taiwan. So I've been attending a program really um, in a different time zone, 12 to 13 hours ahead of New York time. I've been doing this for like um, David said's health way of the program. So it's been over six months. And I think the fact that I'm here kind of speaks up for what the program is really all about me to put an all-nighter over and over again. Um, it's not exactly a nightclub fun, but it's fun in its own way. Um, that's why I'm still here. And I really, um, when I heard what uh, coaching and Shoto say, it's, it really resonates with me. And I don't have, you know, Kaylee's vocabulary to make it so um, 
so well-rounded. So I'll just make it simple. My experience here is like this, you and me together in this shared human experience. Um, the, someone asking about the structure of the program. Um, the program really makes me feel a sense of community by the way it designs for us to interact either through online discussions, real plays in class, or the meeting with the mentor or a peer and buddies. And it sounds like a lot of meetings, but it's also so many opportunity to connect and to create the potential for the space, for our grief, for our vulnerability to be heard and to be held gently. Um, one of the practices that's very helpful for me is about giving and receiving equally. I was constantly giving and expected to do so before I joined the program. And this is where I felt how it feels like to be on the receiving end. And I brought that to not just care partner relationship, in all my relationship really, I'm still in a role of giving, but it feels different now because I know how it feels like to be on the receiving end. And sometimes I make space too. I step back and make others to give. So there's um, a different layer of intimacy in a relationship, you know, between my friends, with my family and at work. So um, it's very, um, I think it's not about, just about spiritual practice, sitting on a cushion. It's really about off the cushion and how we are in a relationship. And the other thing I learned very helpful is um, to practice being good for nothing, which sounds uh, idiotic, but really it's about um, be able to accept the way things are. I'm very good at fixing, it's part of my job. Um, but now I don't try to make it right. I try to make space. You know, just to be present. I don't have to be good at everything. I don't have to make it right. Sometimes there are things in our life that's beyond our control. And the best gift we can ever give is our presence. And that's I'm continuing learning and practicing with. Thank you. Thank you all for being here together. Thank you so much, Venus and Kelly. And of course, um, there'll be with us here for this next portion as well, which uh, is a Q&A period. And <clears throat> like to transition into that now and spend uh, the rest of the, the event talking with each other. And we've found that this period is best used for questions about the experience of foundations, about um, you know exploring what it might be for you if you'd like to <clears throat> Uh, you know, take part, questions about applying, and questions about the journey of foundations, rather than uh, details about the logistics, which we encourage you to write to Susan, who is here. And you can do that at info at zencare.org. And we will also put in the chat uh, the website for foundations, where it has some of the, the details about um, you know, when classes meet and the timing. So for this, we invite you to stay in a, you know, more relational embodied space and raise your hand using the, uh, how do we do that, Lola? 
Um, it should be at the bottom of your screen. There's a panel that says reactions. It's got a little smiley face. And if you click on that, there's an option to raise hand. Um, if you don't see the reactions at the bottom, look for the three dots and uh, you should be able to raise your hand that way. Um, if you are having trouble or you just can't figure it out, uh, go ahead and message me and I'll get you in the queue. Thanks, Lula. And I think we have a hand, Kat. Welcome. Thank you. Um, I'm calling from Baltimore, Maryland, and I am an ICU nurse here. And uh, I was just wondering of the students that have matriculated from the program, um, how do you stay in touch with them? Do they stay in touch? Like is the community that you're building around uh, the basis of contemplative care, like is it like a, a community that's in like always in a state of dynamic ebb and flow or do you still have people that have graduated, you know, um, many years ago still part of it? So thank you, Kat. Um, nice to see you. So yes, you know, we actually, some people from our original class are from 15 years ago are still have become friends and are maintained friendships for 15 years. So I'd say that there is, that's one of the, you know, our secret plots is to create community. And yeah, there's another group that they meet and actually sit together every day still after several years. And so I think it's just really amazing what happens. And it really depends on the chemistry. There are certainly people in each group who have stayed together. So your people are finding their people. And we also once a year have a contemplative care retreat, which will be restarting again in the fall. And that's a chance, and some people call it old home week, you know, so like people come and so once a year we practice together, which is really beautiful. And so there's many opportunities and people often come through the Zen Center here in New York and meet up here. And we actually have a crew of four of them. We're just saying that they're gonna, they haven't seen each other in a long time and they're gonna have a reunion and come for a sit and then, you know, spend a weekend in New York and you know, next month. So it's just, you know, there are many opportunities and, from the day one, there are, as Venus was sharing, there are so many points of contact with so many people in the program that by the time you finish the program, you've really connected quite deeply to a lot of people. And there's a shared interest and the center itself is committed to supporting and nourishing those relationships. And thank you for the work you do. Star. <clears throat> Hi, thank you. Um, so my question, I guess, is, is um, so I'm a visual artist and really fell in love with what you guys do when I met you a few years back um, and feel drawn in like a very magnetic way to this work. Um, and part of my practice as an artist is to work with people um, to document 
like their spaces like if they're if someone's dying or has died or is move are moving so this thing about letting go and possessions and grief um and so i'm just curious um do people ever go through this program and sort of apply this in ways that aren't necessarily sort of chaplaincy or or direct care um because i'm not sure what obviously we don't know what like you said we don't know what we're gonna do here but um I do know I'm drawn. Thanks. So, uh, hi, Star. Good to see you. Um, <laughs> so, times have changed now. With obviously with COVID, we had to get very creative um, regarding what people were doing uh, with site visits and how they were able to visit with folks. And uh, we had one student last the year before last in Sweden who was also a visual artist. And they uh, went, worked, were at a nursing home and they were actually uh, documenting each person's life through, uh, through photography, through poetry, and through, uh, through her own, through her own uh, approach, she was saying, to photography. Beautiful, beautiful, very different way of looking at life through a very specific lens which had to do with, uh, I can't quite explain it, but it had to do with looking at the life and the death through the same lens in the same photography kind of media, uh, medium. Um, we've had people, yeah, I mean, it's just, it can be so very creative. You, um, you have a, a project at the end of the year. Uh, we've had folks, as I say, uh, working with poetry, working with photography, working with storytelling. Um, so this, it, the field is wide open right now, whereas it used to be uh, visiting one on you know one on one visits. It was much easier when you're visiting a hospital. Say, you were there as, as I said, this extra extra layer of spiritual support, which would be around usually. What, you know, what brought to the hospital, asking questions around the family, about the spiritual uh, approach to life. Um, now it's, it's much more open to, to I keep using this word creativity. We have to be more creative in how we're connecting to people right now because so much is done on Zoom. That's a very, very different way of being with the person. Personally, I've done, in this time of COVID, a lot of work on Zoom with people who are dying, and actually being in, in their hospital room, if you like, or in the living room with their hospice bed. And uh, I did a lot of, I did much more meditation this in these past two years with, uh, with folks who were ill, not necessarily dying, but who were in, you know, housebound, people who were not ill, but are housebound, people reaching out for care, people reaching out for support. So being able to be spend an hour a day with somebody, uh, with meditating, guided meditation, playing music, getting to know their stories. So it really is. Uh, how do you see? How do you um, see what? What do you see as contemplative care? It's not always about being in a hospital or in a hospice. How are you caring for others as well as yourself? Does that help, Star? Thank you, that's very helpful. One thing I was thinking of that 
related to your question was that also that people, most people, like the little group, go on and do or say like, wow, this is completely my jam. I'm going to do this all the time. I'm going to be a chaplain. I'm going to be a whatever that is. And but most of the people realize like, wow, my relationships with home at home are so much better. I actually have intimacy with my partner, with friends, with family. That's our actually secret mission, like <laughs> to actually teach so that we can learn together how to have more wholehearted relationships so that you feel a sense of belonging both in Sangha and everywhere you go. So that's our secret mission. Thank you. <laughs> uh, Fred. I was wondering that once this a person was trained, how much time would be appropriate if you had a patient or a person that was on hospice, how much of a time commitment would that be to be appropriately uh, there for that person? Well, it depends, right? That most people are in hospice these days for like, I think the average is like two or three days. And so it really depends. And sometimes you might be placed in a situation where someone is the advent of a serious prognosis. And so you might have more time with them. So we ask that you do a minimum and to be creative about, about 50 hours of um, service work. And so that can look a lot of different ways and that's kind of a minimum. So some people say like, wow, I'm just loving, you know, again, we've had acrobats and rabbis and nuns and lawyers and parents and all kinds of amazing creative people do this work. And some people are like, wow, I really discovered after this, like, I'm not, this is not for me. I'm going to do the minimum and I'm good. You know, and other people are like, wow, I'm just really feeling alive in this work and feel moved to do a little bit more. So just trust yourself. And one of the things that has always been important to us is that you have a mentor for the year. And so someone that you meet with in small group as well as one-on-one, -on -one, and you can really, they're there to walk with you on this journey and on this path. And they've just been further along. And so those are the questions that are really great to talk about with your peers and with your mentor and with the teachers. So it's just, it's an adventure, you know? We have no idea how long it's gonna last. Thank you. Thank you. You Unsung? Thank you. My name is Unsung. Unsung. <laughs> it's all good. Uh, so I work as a chaplain. I have been working as a chaplain. Uh, I work in hospice. So I'm a chaplain slash bereavement coordinator at a hospice here in um, Henrico, Virginia, Richmond, Virginia area. Um, and I kind of identify as a Quaker Buddhist. So contemplative ministry where presence is what I do. Um, so I just wanted to thank you um, for making this accessible um, 
and I live in the Southeast and grew up in the Southeast. So not many people do what I do. And so I'm also excited about just having a Sangha or that there are other people who are doing this work and I'm not alone because when people ask me what I do for a living and I say I like sit people through difficulty and sometimes I don't say anything at all um, and that's enough and and even in the health field like people want tangible things that they can objectively measure and you can't really objectively measure loving kindness and presence as people are dying it's i mean at least i haven't been able to um but i also personally believe it's like meaningful work and it can be life-changing both for the practitioner and for the people in that room and space um, just to have one calm presence in a room where there's a lot of suffering can make or break the experience of others. Um, and someone that actually cares, you know, and I wouldn't do what I do if I didn't believe in that, but it's also very difficult to do it day in, day out without other people who value that aspect of it. So I, I'm just... And I spoke more than I wanted to, but um, I just wanted to say thank you for actually putting words to what I do <laughs> and what I believe in and making it accessible for others who are seeking a Sangha. So thank you. Gratitude. Well, Sangha, thank you. Uh, really encapsulated everything that we're trying to say there uh, because you're doing the work and so often you know, most of the work, or most of yeah, most of the work, but most of the care is just simply by saying nothing. It's just being present to the person in the room, whomever you're with. You know, we're often walking with an agenda, or we feel that we have to have an agenda, or we have to fix something. And so much that we talk about in this training is so much is done in silence. You know, when you're with a family member, or you're with someone who's experience illness or their dying is to just simply be there present and we talk about how there's no such thing as a non-responsive patient you know so uh, you know you're very you're very often here well they're not responding uh you know they they can't hear they you know that they're, they're just not with us anymore it's like no actually i can sit with a patient i can sit with a person in the bed who uh has been in a coma for three months and I know for sure that something is happening between us in that relationship. Um, when we talk about how to be in those moments when we feel nothing is happening, even when that nothing is happening, something very profound can be happening if you just open to the possibility of that. This is a lot, of, again, as Koshi mentioned earlier, this is a lot about our own inner work uh, and understanding of who we are and what we're and also you know it's so great your the desire for community is another you know we've had chaplains and nurses and social workers and monks and nuns from actually all over the world do this training and so it's just because also they feel quite alone 
And so that's another part of important part of the work. So I really appreciate that. Thank you. Looks like we have time for one more, Claire. Yes, hi, can you hear me? Yes. Yeah, th thanks so much for this opportunity. Um, uh, so I, I am a um, nurse. I was a critical care nurse for many years and by education, I'm a geriatric clinical nurse specialist. And one of the things I loved about my work uh, was, you know, connecting to the patients and um, I guess maybe trying to uh, alleviate suffering, but I, I wasn't doing my own work and I ended up getting very burned out and, and actually left nursing for the business world and um, for many years and uh, recently going through a uh, layoff at my company and this came across my screen. I said, oh, maybe it's time to <laughs> do my inner work so that I can do the work and go back to the work that I really love. And I think that this sort of community work is critical. Um, my dream is that we would integrate it into nursing programs um, because I think I, 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 I witnessed a lot of nursing burnout, well-meaning, um, caring human beings who didn't quite know how to do their own work. So I am on a journey uh, now and I see this as a, a, a really wonderful opportunity to continue that. So thank you for setting this up in such a way that we could have an exposure to it and get a little more. So thank you. Well, thank you. And you know, it's thank you also for what you've done in your life. And also it's one of the things that, you know, there's always three parts for us, you know, of contemplative care is like the intrapersonal, like really getting clear because who we are in our own bodies and minds is what we're bringing to the bedside, is what we're bringing to the barista and this coffee shop. You know, who you are in yourself in the grocery line. And so we really focus on that, a lot of that inquiry and also building our interpersonal relationships so that we actually, because often we forget about them and don't really nourish them in the ways that actually is nourishing. And so the clinical work is sort of like the gravy. And so it is a joyful activity. And for me, like I can't imagine doing anything else. It's like, this is like the coolest jam ever. So thank you. Thank you, Claire. And uh, thank you everyone for being here, we're coming to the end of our time. And I wanted to leave a little bit of time for Koshin and Chodo to uh, offer some closing remarks. First, I just wanted to share that foundations applications process is open and uh, we encourage you to submit them as soon as possible. We do anticipate filling all of the seats, which we keep to a limit so that we can maintain the mentor to mentee uh, ratio that is supportive for, for students, as, as was talked about earlier. 
And <clears throat> just a note also that we, the, the program is fully online with the exception of the retreat. So you are able to attend via Zoom, the monthly training days, except for the retreats. And also there are uh, a limited number of in-person seats for those of you who would like to be at the Zendo in New York to uh, be there in person for those training weekends. So those are first come first serve. And again, another reason to apply early if, if you're inspired. And then I also wanted to mention that uh, for those who are physicians, nurse practitioners and physician or physician assistants, we also have our Contemplative Medicine Fellowship, which uh, is running in its inaugural year this year and begins a second year in July. So if you're interested in applying for that, it uh, uses the same contemplative approach, but we've tailored it for specifically for those professions. And Claire and others, just so you know, it's also our dream to bring this to nursing and other healthcare workers. For right now, we're able to uh, focus on physicians, nurse practitioners, and, and physician assistants, but it's one of our dreams as well. And so um, I believe Lola will chat if she hasn't already. Uh, she has already the uh, link for more information on the fellowship and for applying. So uh, Koshin Chodo, please, um, any closing remarks you'd like to offer? Chodo? Koshin? Chodo. Ready? How do you do rocks, paper, scissors on Zoom? I don't know. So, <laughs> okay. Our life is so short. To me, engaging with its most, most meaningful is the most important thing and not waiting. I think about a woman that Chodo and I cared for many years ago and her message always stays with me where she says, please don't hold back. So whatever it is that moves you and that you feel like is truly nourishing, do that. If it's this, do this. If it's something else, do that. And to me, because our life is so short and precious, like to not savor it and use it is our great gift that is rarely opened, as a great poet once said. Chuck. Yeah, I agree with you. Uh, as, uh, as, mm. The, the idea of being moved or called to, for me, it was uh, this whole shift in my life was a calling uh, to, to step into this way of being in the world. Uh, after so many years of doing something else, uh, now the last 25 years doing this kind of work, I think it's really, really, really uh, so important for my own life to uh, have experienced being with others and sharing their lives. Uh, it's just so very special, this work. And as Koshin said, it either, it either moves you or it doesn't. If it doesn't, that's fine. Go on to the next thing. Find, some, find what it is that moves you. 
and then throw yourself wholeheartedly into it. That's all that can be expected. If you do, if this, if you feel that this is the work for you, then be prepared to dive in wholeheartedly. Leave, I'll call your seatbelt. Leave nothing out. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't know what else to say about it. Thank you all for being here. We really appreciated it. I appreciated seeing and hearing from everyone. Uh, this kind of an experience is really uh, what Foundations is. It's gathering in this way in person or via Zoom and um, exploring together. So uh, again, want to remind you, if you have questions, please contact Susan at info at zencare.org. And uh, for those who missed it, or if you have friends who weren't able to be here, we will be sending out a link to the video uh, in the coming days. So please uh, look for that and feel free to share it with friends, family, colleagues. Thank you all for being here. Good night, be well. And thank you to Kelly and to Venus and the Zen Center team, Susan Iotzi and Lola Davis. It's now called the New York Sense Center. Nighty noobs. Thank you.